Welcome to Let's Get To, the baseball podcast from the fans' perspective. Now here's your host, James Christopher. And welcome back to Let's Get To. We have a fun episode for you today. We're going to be visited by the general manager of the Hartford Yard Goats to talk all things the Yard Goats. But as the season starts to wind down, you know, we're kind of getting a little bit of that, uh, trying to get into as much baseball as we can before it all goes away. For as much as I am a now world-famous baseball podcaster, I don't really have uh, M- MLB playoff money or connections. So once the minor league playoffs end, that's pretty much going to be it for live baseball for me until at least the Arizona Fall League. So it's a little depressing and, and we're trying to get out to as much baseball as we can. And so I loaded up with my brother-in-law, Nathan, who you've heard on the show a bunch of times, his wife, Shelly, and we headed down to Sugarland to check out the Skeeters again because they were doing their Star Wars night. And I got to be honest, they really did it right. Now, I've, you know, I'm on the show a lot talking about independent baseball. And I feel like it's the it's the part of minor league baseball that really goes the most underappreciated. And it's it's such a unique environment. The fan friendly level really actually goes even more so than affiliated minor leagues because the players are so much more available and you get you get much more access to them that it's really a good time. And, you know, just kudos to the guys in Sugarland, the Skeeters for putting on a great Star Wars night from having members of the 501st in costume out there. And, you know, we got a lightsaber, got about the coolest bobblehead we've had with uh, Darth Swatson, Swatson, their mosquito uh, mascot dressed as the Dark Lord of the Sith with complete with a red lightsaber. It was really cool. Now, of course, it's Sugarland and it's Houston, Texas, basically, and it's August. So one of the things that we weren't going to do uh, was sit in the stands for the whole game. And so we got tickets to the Insperity Club. And what a great value for what a really great atmosphere. First of all, you're up there with the full bar. You've got windows so you can see a really great view of the stadium, whether you're inside or at the seats right below you air-conditioned, which is no small thing again, Houston, Texas, humidity being what it is. And then for the price of the ticket, or if you do a $25 add-on wristband, you get a free buffet with including like ice cream sundaes at the end of the game. So, you know, again, taking that fan experience to a whole other level because it's hot and humid down here in August. Now getting out there, one of the things that I wanted to look for was how did the game feel different with the robot ups? As we talked about on the show at the very beginning, the Atlantic League is testing out using the TrackMan system as the umpire. And I was curious, would there be a delay? Would I even notice a difference? And the answer is the second one. I didn't notice a difference. I didn't feel like when I sat in the booth for a while and watched the game that the, the balls and strikes weren't called correctly. And I felt like it was a really, really smooth operation. If the fan didn't know because they talked about it, 
nobody would know that that was what's going on. And I know that we've had a lot of people on the show before that have had different opinions about the whole thing and different opinions about whether or not we should have the robotic umpires. I've always been one that said we should, that if I'm going to watch a million dollar pitcher and a million dollar batter go at it, I don't want to have the human element of the strike zone be part of the game. If that dude's having a bad day or had some beef or is notoriously like the Angel Hernandez bad level of umpire. And so honestly, it was completely transparent to me as a fan. Couldn't really tell. And I thought really, really seamless. And so I'm hoping that we do get that at the major league level, you know, sooner than later. Of course, it's going to be more complicated with them because of the CBA and and all that fun stuff. But I do want to give props to Ryan Posner. If you listen to the broadcast that I'm on, the Skeeters had a no-hitter going, and I appreciate the fact that he didn't say no-hitter. And, and I get it. You know, there was a big debate when the Astros had the combined no-hitter a while back. When should a broadcaster talk about it or not talk about it? Because at the end of the day, baseball is a superstitious sport, and a lot of people talk about the fact that if something's happening, then talking about it, it's immediately going to stop. I know in actuality that me talking about a no-hitter or Brian McTaggart for the Astros tweeting about a no-hitter has nothing to do with whether or not a no-hitter is going to happen. I do think that with baseball, part of the superstition is part of the fun of it. And so it was sort of fun for Ryan and I to kind of talk around the fact that there were several zeros up there in that area. But like I said, we got a great show. You can hear a little bit from my call with uh, with Ryan and Tyler on the radio. You're going to hear from the Hartford Yard Goats as we kind of wind down the regular season and start looking forward to the play- playoffs for both the Indy Leagues, the MILB, and Major League Baseball. So stay with us. From the bleachers, the Let's Get To Game of the Week. In this episode of Let's Get To, I'm actually not coming to you from the bleachers, but I'm coming to you from the booth. We had a chance to hang out in the play-by-play booth with the Sugarland Skeeters with play-by-play voice Ryan Posner and general manager Tyler Stam to talk all things Sugarland Skeeters. Let's get to our film festival, good movies, and the playoff run the Sugarland Skeeters are getting ready to start. So check it out. Welcome back to the broadcast booth. No score as the Skeeters and Bees head to the third inning. I've got a special guest at the booth this inning, none other than Jim Christopher from the Let's Get Two podcast. If you were listening earlier this year, back, I believe it was in the month of May. Jim, May- Mother's Day, even. Mother's Day, yeah, yeah. Jim was in the booth, and Let's Get Two podcast is a must-listen. It's good minor league baseball coverage, just good baseball coverage in general. And Jim also is the president of the Austin Revolution Film Festival, too. So a very diverse portfolio from Jim Christopher. Thank you for joining us. I'm here about two and a half weeks before our festival happens. So I don't know if I should be, but I'm super excited (laughs) to be away from planning the festival. That's great. So uh, exactly what goes into playing a film festival you know it's funny it's, it's things you wouldn't even think about it's uh you think that it's and i thought it's just about finding movies and now it's finding movies keeping people happy uh dealing with people who think they are way more famous than they really are it's funny because my cone or the company is in the insperity club thing yeah. right now rolling his eyes and i'm being this honest with you about what a pain in the neck <laughs> it could be running a film festival but, i'm sure they are you know, it's, it's, it's great though man and, and uh you guys should 
You should really come down. I'm going to get you all some passes. It's oh. be, yeah. There's a, I know there's at least one person in our press box, our video coordinator, Troy. He's a, he's a big movie connoisseur. He actually took me to an early screening of the new Quentin Tarantino movie. Oh, yeah? Uh, I mean, I enjoyed it. I loved it. It was like, man, oh, man. I, uh, it's nice, nice to have the perks of the early screenings there. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, 2-1 and one to Logan Moore. He takes low and inside 3-1 and one with Troy Scribner still on the mound for the Skeeter. So, sorry about the Let's Get Two podcast. You know, you, I believe this is your first kind of year pr producing the podcast. How's everything been going? Uh, you know what? It's been a rush. It's been the best year of my life, honestly. Um, and that's going to be a high fly ball to right field. Nope, that's going to be a foul ball. <laughs> Just this in the stance. <laughs> this is why I'm not you. <laughs> it's, hey, it's tough to read off the bat, man. It's, it's, not, it it's not easy thing to do. No, it's been a great year, man. I have seen, and I'm actually glad you asked me about the show because we got some cool news. So we've been all over the country. We have seen baseball from AAA down to independent clubs, and we've decided to do a competition this year. And we're super excited to let you guys know that the Sugarland Skeeters are our team of the year for independent. Wow. That uh, is a very prestigious honor right yeah, there, man. Yeah. Um, and a swing and a miss. So, yeah, Logan strikes. Moore goes down. There's one of those promotions you were talking about. We got uh, the donut chance. So, now that he's struck out, one of the one of the sections here at Constellation Field is going to get a coupon for a free donut yeah. at Toasted Yoke. So, well, and try I to keep it light. I do think that's what people should know about. Like, So, the criteria were like stadium promotions and then on-the-field product. And all of those things, you guys are leaders. And so, we're really we excited to, that. To, to be the ones. I'm sorry, Chicago and Gateway and all the other indie clubs we've seen, but... Well, I think that's that's one of the things I feel like does separate the Skeeters from and the Atlantic League as a whole from a lot of places is that uh, a lot of good a lot of minor league teams. I mean, they can produce. They have good promotions. They have good uh, things that they can do outside of the baseball. But when you look at the Skeeters roster too, if you were here for the baseball, then you've you're going to get a good show. You, I mean, you're going to get a lot of former major leaguers going at it. You're going to get you know names you'll recognize you right. know, going at it as well i mean for the bees even they've they've lost a few guys but they had alejandro de Aza, well you guys White lost Sox. somebody going back <laughs> yeah. to the astros and well, yeah, we lost felipe paulino and yeah. that people will recognize here and we've had james loney come through this year chris colabello some bigger some of the bigger names but i mean even the fellow on the mound now troy scribner was in the big leagues last year so i remember him in the big leagues yeah but that, that, that's huge. I mean, that, that's good. That's good to know that, you know, because you guys saw some pretty – I've seen your, your Twitter. You've been around places. I know yeah. You, I was jealous you got to visit the uh, the Amarillo Sod Poodles. That was a blast and a half, man. And they, and they did some stuff. Um, you know, they're not our double-A team. Um, our double-A team, actually, I'll, I'll announce that. It will actually be the Hooks this year, Corpus Christi. I think it's bar none in the double-A level. But, no, they do they do it right up there in Amarillo and and, and – I think they've had some like 23 consecutive sellouts. Wow. Like, from a town that, and I don't know how much you followed when they announced the name, but they weren't happy with the name. It, I, I remember, I will say, because I am a Padres fan, that it I do recall the name being announced because it's the double-A team of the Padres. Yeah, so right. I was like, what is a sod poodle? And I, it was, but I mean, if you're a minor league team, I feel like that's good if people don't know what your name is. That means you're probably doing something right as Scribner drops in the curveball strike three and Juan Silverio could not see the ball when they were throwing the, it around the, around the horn. the horn. I've never, I was like, is this some skater tradition where if it's a curveball that strikes them out, you don't catch it? <laughs> nope. It should be now. I think <laughs> maybe, yeah. I think there was a play earlier where Silverius couldn't see the ball, and you could kind of see where the shadows are. Yeah. It's not great for the left side of the field right now. But so, uh, so you saw the hooks. You saw Amarillo or some other places you guys got to visit. Uh, so we, we know for the you know in the independent league, uh, we went up to see uh, the Chicago Dogs, which is great. The yeah. Cle the Cleveland Railroaders, uh, the Did Gateway. You see, uh, Palmero was he was he playing that night that you were there? No, not when we were there. He oh, wasn't. Man. He wasn't. 
uh, and then we saw, you know, uh, Gateway Grizzlies. We we went out to see the single A Fayetteville Woodpeckers. Okay. Which was really cool. The and Durham Bulls was one of the best that we were out. You know, and that's classic, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's you, that's like that's Americana. You almost have to just visit there for the movie. Yeah. No, exactly. And uh, one of our favorites though was the Tacoma Rainiers, and it was wow. just and maybe because it was like Washington in June and not Austin in June. Yeah. I mean that's that's very true. We've actually we have we've had a weird kind of pipeline go through Tacoma this year. Uh, we had Ryan Court get picked up, and he actually played with the Mariners. He made his major league debut earlier this year. Oh, very cool! With the Mariners, and we've had a few guys come from Tacoma. Christian Bergman, uh, who's no longer with the team, was there. So I've always wanted to visit that ballpark. Seattle's beautiful, and at this time of year, it's where you want to be rather yeah. than out here in the southeast part of Texas. You know, we went to Seattle and we watched the the Astros at the Mariners, and and I gotta be honest, that stadium was pretty awful. But going to Tacoma was great. Uh huh. It was just beautiful. And I mean, that's nice too. Like at that for the Mariners, at least you have a Triple A team, like pretty much just right up the road, yeah. so you can use that as your your kind of your taxi cab yeah. team. Forty yeah, forty five minutes. I yeah. Think. So definitely worked out for them. Three on one pitch, forward fouls it back, makes it full. Let's talk about these Star Wars uniforms. These yeah, are- so you're gonna you're gonna hate me. I, I've never seen Star Wars, so <laughs> I, that could- I think that's how the interview ends. In the- <laughs> <laughs> From a guy who literally is the president of a movie festival, yeah, the Austin Revolution Film Festival. I feel like that's probably the worst thing I could have said. But I have to be honest with you. you got- never yeah. seen Star Wars and. But these uniforms for people that do watch Star Wars, I've heard very good things about them. Yeah, they, so these are. Uh, let me get my uh, my 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 nerd going here. These are the uniforms that mock up Luke Skywalker's X-wing fighter flight fighter flight suit. Uh, I swear I'm married, y'all. 19 years. I've I've been on dates with women. It's fine. <laughs> well, I mean that's that's good. That like I mean I feel like most people do know what the jerseys are. I'm definitely in the minority of people that don't know what they are. And then I hope you got your Darth Swats and bobblehead as well. I, I've got three of them. Oh, there you go. So we, Perfect. We, we loaded up. Now, um, like I said, my business partner Nathan's upstairs, and uh, his wife Shelly, and we, and we could, just my wife couldn't make it this time, but we were. She's pretty bummed, but she's been to, now she's been to several Skeeters games because she's got a, she does a conference in Kima, and they come to and Skeeters make, games every year. Really, that's good to know. I mean, that that's one of the big things too. Is you know, there's a lot of hotels around here. We try to get you know people maybe who are here just on a conference come out. You know, it's relatively you know good pricing if you wanted to you know yeah. get a little get a little lubed up. You got we got Margarita Monday, we got Thirsty Thursday. So I mean, it's after your after your day full of meetings, you come out here and just yeah. uh, let it cut it loose a little bit. No, absolutely, absolutely. But no, I mean, I think that really that is what is the best thing about minor league baseball. And like, and as you said, it, it, particularly with the Atlantic League, you're seeing really good ball. Like, it yeah. isn't like it's not like me out there. We've had we had 55 contracts purchased we league wide. I mean, a lot of them, most of them to the major leagues, some of them to uh, to the Chinese professional leagues, to Mexico. Um, but I mean, really, predominantly to the majors. So yeah, to your point, I mean, it's 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 a pretty big deal. We have a writer from Athletic, uh, Zach Buchanan, who's here. I mean, he's oh, is he here now? He's kind of yeah, he's profiling kind of just what it's like to be in the Atlantic League. And I think some of the takeaways he's taken is that, you know, this doesn't really have the independent ball feel to it. No, it doesn't. I mean, and I was like, I was because uh, uh, again, my partner Nathan, this is his first time he's been to an independent league, and I was trying to explain to him the very fact that y'all have grass. Yeah, so many of those parks up there are turf. Are turf, yeah, and, and it makes sense. Like it's yeah. easier to maintain, but and and I I do think there's something about the way we do baseball in Texas. It's just better at all levels, and I, and I don't mean that from the necessarily just the competitive thing, but the double A parks here are better than the double A parks I've been to in other cities, sure. in other states, and. The, well, the, I know two of the double-A teams here. I mean, the Frisco Rough Riders and the Corpus Christi Hooks, like you mentioned, yeah, those are those are two oh, man. premier double-A teams. 
Yeah, in the Frisco Rough Riders, it was really, really hard to decide uh, which one would, would win our, our Club of the Year for AA, in part because, you know, they're a Rangers affiliate, so that lost them five points. <laughs> there you go, exactly, right <laughs> the bat. Well, Ryan Jackson swings a miss there, strikes out to end the inning. Troy Scribner, he is through three scoreless so far, and there's a goose egg into one column there on the scoreboard. Joined by Mr. James Christopher of Let's Get Two. The greatest baseball podcast in the world. Uh, and I'm joined by Tyler Stam, the general manager of the greatest independent baseball team in the oh, world. Oh, man, I love it. Look at that. There we go. There's a lot of excellence going just, on right now. Just, I guess, two studs here in a, in a radio booth <laughs> on a Saturday right. night. That's right. Now, you've seen Star Wars. I have. Okay, yeah, cool. Because so, I was complimenting you on the jerseys, and Ryan was like, I've never seen Star Wars. Yeah, so I haven't. Um, I'm not like one of those people that has seen it a million times, right? Sure. So if you said a specific character, like I know Yoda, I know Obi-Wan, all those traditional big guys. Yeah. I don't know all of the tidbits. Got it. Definitely fun movies, though. Working knowledge, at least. Yes, yeah. exactly. Ryan, we found out he doesn't. He hasn't seen a ton of movies. Right. He hasn't seen Indiana Jones. He hasn't seen Ghostbusters, maybe. I mean, there are movies that no kid should have grown up without seeing that Ryan has not seen. What a crime. I what know. a crime. But I do want to get you guys down, if your schedule allows, to... Uh, that's going to be a base hit to right field. There you go. Look at that. Coco working the 2-2 count, drives it over to right for the Skeeters' first hit of the ball game. And Kovu the Bat Dog comes out, got it on the first try, and he is off. And Kovu is uh, a great new addition this year. Yeah, wasn't so, here the first time around. No. Uh, so how many games uh, are y'all having, having? So I think well? in total it's 11 this season. Okay. Um, so we, he started a little bit late. Started, uh, I think, right after the All-Star break. So there's... We, we snuck him in the last 11 weekend games that we had. So next year, we're hoping to grow it quite a bit. Yeah, that, no, that's so cool. Like Minor league baseball, man. you got to love it. It's, it, and it. It is why it's so cool, I think. Um, but no, you know, we're having a movie at our festival. I hope you guys can come out and see called 50 Summers. I saw the trailer. Yeah, yeah. dude. I, Looks yeah. really good. If y'all want to make it out, we'll get you some passes. We should do some kind of giveaway through the Skeeters. Like, to pro- promote the movie? Well, just to give you guys passes to come out because okay. y'all are, you know, Hey, that'd be cool. What is our favorites? Um, we're going to be showing um, the first screening that we have set up is September 7th, and then we're doing a follow-up on the 18th, I think. Okay, okay. I know the 18th they'll be here at Constellation Field for our <laughs> final home stand of the season. Yeah, we and get in the playoffs. Little, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we go a little bit later than affiliated ball, about three weeks later. That'll be good. I can edge off my fix. I kind of thought, you know, the first season of doing this game, of this show and, like, traveling everywhere, that I, there would be a come a point where I was like, you know, we get that baseball's okay, and it's been real depressing when I'm not on the road at a baseball stadium. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it, it's truly become a. I mean, for anybody, and you're one of those people too. It becomes a way of life. Yeah, it really does. And and I have a wife that loves it as much as I do. So that's important. Yeah, that's important. My wife is the same way. I, I so I'm a Rangers fan. I've told you that before. I know yeah. you're an Astros fan. Yeah, you got mad at me one time. Right. The podcast. Right? It's fine. But at our house all the time, and that's grounded out to short. Double play there for the Bees. So the Skeeter's first base runner is wiped off pretty quickly. That'll bring us to two outs here in the bottom of the third. That'll bring up Rico Noel. But we have Astros games on every day. So I've gotten used to it. I right. love my wife very much, so it's I let her follow her passion. My team is not as fun to watch. You guys are very fun to watch. We're fun to watch right now, yeah. And as much as I don't like it, 
You guys are really, really good. No, but you know what? I think the Rangers made a lot of smart decisions by not doing anything in the trade deadline. That I think so, too, in retrospect. I think that second year of that new stadium, they're going to be young and fun to watch. We should be. We should and be. So, I, yeah, I'm looking. I'm actually looking forward to getting. I'm looking forward to getting up there because for me, it's now ten more Astros games I can drive to and see, and not, you know, roast. Absolutely. So. Well, yeah, you're just going to go to Minute Maid version two. <laughs> it looks the exact same. <laughs> what was somebody calling it? Mimic Maid. Park, Mimic Maid. Hey, why not? <laughs> yeah. I, I was disappointed. I'm excited for the new stadium. I grew up at the ballpark in Arlington, so it's it's a little sad. But air conditioning is a huge must. So, you know. It is what it is. I just wish we would have done something of our own. It feels very Minute Maid. My me. sense is, though, I think when you get to the details, it's going to feel very different. I don't, I don't, I'm sure it will. I think uh, the, it's got more glass, which I think already is an improvement. Yeah. So I, I think that you're going to be really happy with it. Um, and a swing and a miss and a curveball in the dirt. We've talked a ton of baseball. Well, we've talked baseball that's not this game. It's not this but game. But it, it is... A 2-2 count to Mr. Noel. By the way, he is 0 for 1 of the day with a fly to center. But he hit a rope to center. I thought that was going for the gap. Yeah. Yeah, in the first inning, I thought it was going for the gap. And that is strike three. That'll conclude the third. I'll hang around for one more half inning. There you go. We'll have Ryan Posner back in the booth. It's still 0-0 tied up here going to the fourth. All right, welcome back. Thanks to Tyler and Jim Christopher from the Let's Get Two podcast for filling in for me last inning. Sounds like they did a pretty good job. Everything, nothing's on fire in here yet, so we, I think we did okay. <laughs> Not yet. We're we're doing well. We're doing well. Good deal. So uh, we, we got we got the, some plug in the podcast in there. You guys talk some Rangers and Astros baseball. Let's uh, let's hear some of you. What are some movies that got you excited about your film festival? That's going to be pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean we've got a we got a, and that's going to be a I guess an error on, at second. Yeah, we'll see that 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 is why I'm happy about our official score, man. He's one of the best in the business. Yeah. I don't know how you could possibly score that one. That is that's that's tough. Because it was a pretty hot shot, and, he, you know, I don't know. I, I'd give him a base hit, but well, that's just me. And the thing is, is though, you look at the scoreboard, and there is a goose egg in one of the columns, so you wonder that has to maybe factor into it, too, because the oh, three yeah, yeah, yeah. had not allowed something. Yeah, there's a, there's a story I'll tell you off air because I don't want to do anything bad. But yeah, um, No, you know, like the festival this year, like I, we've talked about the movie 50 Summers, which is a great documentary about minor league baseball but you know what's funny is you mentioned that movie to me last time and i couldn't remember the name of it i've been looking for it all over the place yeah i am i'm I'm, you explained it was the omaha storm chasers correct yeah so it's it's minor league baseball's history went through the prism of the storm chasers because they've been they've been the royals affiliate for 50 years um and so yeah no it's great but we've got just a really wide you know the funny thing is growing up in texas you know you know, we know what cicadas are right yeah we've got a really great b horror movie called cicada with an exclamation point it's about these irradiated cicadas that eat people oh my goodness and and it's like one of those sci-fi films you know it's so bad it's good kind of deal <laughs> kind of uh, like, like sharknado a little bit very much like sharknado and, and i can always tell when one of those movies is great because i'll be in the room with our judges and i love it and they'll look at me cross-eyed <laughs> And that tells me that we found a real gem, and we're gonna. We're yeah, gonna well, stick hey, with yeah. That. If you leave us tickets, we'll go. I know, I know at least one person I can bring out there with me that'll want to go and uh, <laughs> yeah. experience that. That's cool, man. Yeah. And, uh, uh, just a heads up, that was scored at air on Javier Betancourt, which I know Javier. He's one of the better defenders on this team, and takes a lot of pride in his defense. But I think he's probably okay with. I think so. I think given one. the circumstances of the game. Uh, 
And that's yeah, that's as you mentioned, that that's that's one of those things where if it's an in between call and a guy's throwing uh, something, <laughs> yeah. maybe maybe you just think about letting that one if slide. Things are occurring or not occurring, however you decide to judge exactly. to look at them. Well, I've ro- I've rooted for a team that we are the only team in baseball that has yet to throw this one thir- certain really? thing. Really, and, and and when it happens, it'll be the, my third one being at this year. Really? Yeah. So you were you were at the combined something. I was the, at the combined thing? thing, and I was at one where it happened to the Cleburne Railroads by the St. Paul Saints. Wow. And I wanted to do the radio, and they looked at, did you bring this with you? And I was like, <laughs> Yo, I don't know. Well, we had, and I can say because this is a little bit different, there was a the Somerset Patriots team in our league. They had a pitcher throw a perfect game. Oh, really? For nine innings. And it was a 0-0 tie. So he did not get credited with oh, the perfect game. No. <laughs> yes. Rick Teasley, he was pitching. He actually pitched here last, uh, last homestand. And, uh, yep. Did he, he go to extras? That he went to extras. He threw nine perfect innings and took a no decision in the game. But but you got to think for him though, at least that's something the majors are going to notice. Oh sure, and that's know. I mean that's that's unbelievable to be able to throw nine perfect innings. I mean that's in theory a perfect game. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's that's I mean especially here in the Atlantic League where there's a DH, you literally cannot do your job any better. That is the the best you could possibly do. No, exactly. Now has there any has anybody on the Skeeter stolen first yet? No, actually that'll be not. a. And Mike Carp, the former Seattle Mariner, lines that in the left field. That's going to score Rodemaker, and the Bees are going to break up the no-hitter. Now we can say it. And the shutout in one fell swoop, an RBI knock there, and they take a one nothing lead. I'd like to, to reach out to Skeeter Nation and apologize for <laughs> bragging about how this would have been my third one I've been Well, at. we've yet to ever throw one, so I don't know if it's on you. And <laughs> yeah. we've. I feel like it's more like me than it is than you because I've rooted for a team that's never thrown one, and now I'm – Working for a team that has yet to throw one, so I thought the Rangers have one. Oh, I'm a, I'm a Padres fan, so that oh, that's I've right. You're the pa- the Padres don't have one in all the years of Padres baseball. And they just surpassed the Mets because the the one thing that we could say was that we didn't. The when Johan Santana threw his no hitter for the Mets, they had gone us from throwing one. So oh man, it's uh yeah, that's what that's how it goes. And Jonathan Galvez now nobody down comes up takes a ball, one or no got runners on first and second. Nobody down here in the top of the fourth. Bees lead one nothing. Yeah, the shadows though are definitely tricky out there. Yeah, and right now Silverio at third is kind of in the safe place, but it's going to be trouble for Winton Bernard in left field for the rest of the night. Or the shortstop, he is in that weird, the weird bridge between the shadow and the sunlight, much like the Star Wars night itself. You know, he's walking that that Luke Skywalker in Return of the Jedi. Oh, you don't know what I'm talking about? Nope, okay. I don't. But I, I trust that you are giving good info there. That one drops in front of Giancanti. He's going to go to third. What one play? A play. He just threw the guy out at third, the force at third from right field. Wow, Anthony Jansani, that is a heads-up play from the captain. I have, I don't know that I, that's something I've ever seen before. Score heads that one a nine-to-five put out on, <laughs> on a, you know, on a. I mean, that's as one does. Oh my goodness, yeah. I, I'm a lot of loss for words as you can tell. Jansanti, you think the safe play would have just been to go to second there and get the guy going from first to second? He had better ideas. He fielded the fielded the ball on a short hop. Throws it a third. It was a beautiful throw. Juan Severio, nice job to pick yeah. it up on a short hop as well. And and seeing how I've been watching the Astros kick the ball around the field like it's a soccer game the last week, it was nice to see competent heads up defense played for played in the city of Houston for once. My goodness, that that was the most impressive defensive play I can confidently say I've seen, at yeah. least from a mental standpoint, all year long. Because in my head, I'm thinking, just go to second, you get the one out. Because Jansanti. He did. He did the right thing with runners on first and second. You don't want to dive and let the ball get by you, and then it's Absolutely. a it's a yard sale and all the runners score. Played it in front of them. Runners are not able to get a good jump, but man. And, and the runners for New Britain did, did what they were supposed to do. They froze on the line drive, and he was yep 
they were hung up. My goodness. But Andy I agree. I kind of thought he would take the, the second base out. And at first I thought he, oh, he overthrew oh, him. I did as well. I'm like, oh, no. What a play. Man, what a play. I, and now you keep the double play in order, too. First and second base with just one out. And it is Jared James. Do you ever remember watching his father, uh, Dion James, play? I do. Okay. Yeah. I, was, I, I, I did not actually was not familiar with his father, Dion, but I, I read in some stats here that that was his dad. And yeah. Former first-round pick. Yeah. But, I mean, that play right there shows you just how good the baseball is at this level. And, again, that was a heads-up defensive play that I don't know you would see a lot of major leaguers make. Yeah, I mean, just other than, like, Yazio Puig, anybody have the guts to make that play? That one gets in front of Bernard. That They're going to hold Carp at third base because, much like Jan Sandys, that one was right in front of Bernard in left field. You can tell he was battling the sun. That, yeah, I think, if the, I, I think if the shadows were more even, he makes that catch, honestly. I think that that had everything to do with the ball getting lost in the sun. It's tough out there. I mean, we had our left fielder uh, last year, Barrett Barnes, who actually is with the uh, Bingleton Rumble Ponies now. He, I think by the month of like August, he finally got it down. And he, keep in mind, he's with us all year long. Yeah. Winton joined us in like late July, so he's he's probably like, oh my, what did I what did I get myself, <laughs> in? I get myself? Put myself in right, put me in right field, man. I can't I can't, I can't handle it. But I couldn't build this stadium the other way. <laughs> I know. So runners on the corner or bases loaded rather, one away, and it's the catcher Logan Moore. He said uh, he was he was talking about the Texas Heat. He's got a he got a quick tutorial today when he was yeah. putting the gear on. <laughs> I was talking to, to the catcher for New Britain, and he was like, hey, it's brutal out here. Well, I'm looking at the roster. He's from Loveland, Colorado, so this is maybe a little bit out of his comfort zone. It's a little bit out of his comfort zone. And he did not play last night, although Moore was here when the Bees were here last homestand. And he's okay. got some good power numbers, nine homers, five, 45 ribbies on the year. But let's see if they can give him a ground, put a ground ball here, get it skiers out of the inning. Yeah, double plays in order. I do got to think that it's got to be a good advantage for you guys with so many teams on the Atlantic League not used to this combination of heat and humidity sure. coming in and having to play it. Well, I mean, I think it also helps in getting players because all the all the teams in the East Coast are kind of bunched up as to where, you know, if you have any players from maybe Texas, Alabama, Louisiana, Oklahoma, sure. they may be more inclined to play here in Sugarland, which... Um, and you'll get stats from just two major league teams probably, but that'll be a fly ball to center field. Looks like it's deep enough for Carp to tag. Noel's under it. I don't it's know. Throw That's a in. good throw coming in. Good throw and a He hop. is going to be oh, out at home plate. Carp is a dead tug, and he is. I know that. Uh, wow. Not even a slide there. What a throw from Rico Noel. And you can see him setting up for the throw before. It, I mean, that was a major league throw. I guess that's it for me. Well, yeah, Jim, Jim thank you so much for coming by. Uh, the Let's Get 2 podcast. Make sure you tune in. Where can people get the Let's Get 2 podcast? Just go to letsget2.com. Letsget2.com. Yeah. Jim Christopher is a great friend of the Skeeters. And I'll be and, back for the playoffs, baby. Yep, we're happy to have him around. That's good to hear. So we'll be back here in just a moment. Once again, letsget2.com. Jim Christopher and Let's Get 2 podcast. Thanks for stopping by. To the first 10,000 fans, the Let's Get To Promotion of the Week. So as I was preparing this episode, I was reflecting back on the beginning of the season and all the really cool promotions we were looking at for all of these teams as they were trying to get crowds out to the ballpark. And by all accounts, it's been a great season for minor league baseball. Full crowds, a lot of teams set attendance records. And you know now we're kind of sadly are looking at the last homestand for a lot of these teams. For a couple of teams like the New Orleans Baby Cakes, it's their last homestand in New Orleans, period, as they get ready to move. But we have about five or six AAA teams with some pretty cool promotions that we're excited to kind of shine a light on as we usher out the 2019 minor league baseball season. 
On August 24th, the Pawtucket Red Sox, the Pawtucket Paw Sox, are going to have Birdzerk. Birdzerk is America's ballpark prankster and a true entertainment whirlybird with more tricks up his feathers than Houdini. He's spontaneous, outrageous, cool, and unpredictable. He plays to the crowd with comedic routines honed through hundreds of appearances at ballparks and arenas around the world. Now, tonight at the, at the Round Rock Express, August 23rd, if you're in the Austin area and want to go check it out, they're doing a Woodstock night celebrating the 50th anniversary of the world-famous music festival. Down in Las Vegas, they're going to have a, they have a bunch of drink nights in a row. On Saturday the 24th, they're doing Silver Bullet Saturday. And on Sunday the 25th, they're going to have their Rosé All Day, where $20 gets you a ticket to the game, a glass of Rosé, and a limited edition tank top. The Gwinnett Stripers will have their final Wet Nose Wednesday on August 28th, and then a Fan Appreciation Night the next night. Now, in El Paso on Saturday night, the 24th, they're going to have El Paso Strong Night. We talked a little bit about what the shooting meant to that community and how ingrained a minor league team is to the community. And when something like that happens, it really affects everybody involved. So on the 24th, El Paso Strong Night is a celebration of the El Paso community and a commemoration of those victims on the August 3rd tragedy. 7,000 rally towels will be distributed and will conclude with a post-game fireworks spectacular choreographed to music and songs that highlight the city of El Paso. So if you're in the El Paso area, please get out. And then the Norfolk Tides, they're going to finish up their season really strong. August 30th, they're going to have the office night with Stanley himself. And I hope that Leslie David Baker, who plays Stanley, doesn't act excited at all. I hope we see him grumpy and just really being Stanley. And on the 31st, uh, the El- the Norfolk Tides will also have their Margaritaville night. So a lot of fun. And, and again, I hope that you all enjoyed getting out to minor league baseball. And I hope that, you know, and if some of these promotions is what drove you to the ballpark, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you and, and love to hear some of your best ballpark experiences this season. Go-Go Astros, a focus on H-Town Hardball. That suicide is painless. It brings on many changes. And I can take or leave it if I please. For those of you that are young, that is the the lyrical version of the, the theme song for one of the best sitcoms of all time, M.A.S.H., it also describes the current state of the Houston Astros with Ryan Presley, now the newest to fall with knee surgery. Andy, are you by chance a knee surgeon and can figure out uh, how long he's going to be out? I'm just hoping this isn't a Larry Blake situation where we in the segment that you find out that Ryan Presley was killed in a helicopter accident. <laughs> no, it is, it's not. And, we're, and, and although the way it's going, I hope we do all find out that we're actually all living in a snow globe to transition you, to a different ending of a 80s sitcom or show. Well, heck, one more MASH tie-in. These last, uh, before last night, these games with the Tigers have seemed a lot like MASH, about four times as long as it needed to be, um, <laughs> and certainly longer than the source material. <laughs> That's right. Uh, although last night was pretty brisk. but um, Yeah, last night, last night was, well, was two and a half hours. Unfortunately, um, things didn't work out the way they should have when you're all-star Hall of Fame pitcher throws a two-hitter and loses the game two to one. That's um, tough. 
Yeah, it, it's it's tough, and it, it also I, you almost wonder. Um, it, it was a very self fulfilling prophecy. I mean, one of those home runs was a legit home run, but one of those was definitely a should have been a routine fly ball in any other era. Well, and I also noticed that um, we were uh, I watched the TV broadcast last night, so we were um, blessed with the wisdom of Mike Stanton for at least part of the game, unfortunately, and. Um, he kept saying how well uh, Verlander had done about avoiding home runs in the last several starts, except for the last one against Oakland. Somehow that didn't matter. Um, and, of course, we lose because Verlander gave up two solo home runs. Yeah, he did. And, and I'll be honest to you, it looked like a team gassed. And, and I want to talk about the injuries, but I guess I'm going to switch gears on you because I've decided that I think the worst take for Astros fans on social media is the – why don't they play like they care? And I think it's one thing to say a team looks tired or a team looks um, worn out. But I think, you know, you, two stupid base running errors potentially cost you the game because I think they were maybe trying too hard to win. Yeah, uh, I think especially with Altuve trying to take third on that infield hit, um, that was that was, that was was tough. Um, and, you know, to that point, they – forced the Tigers um, hand defensively. They forced them to make a per- perfect play. And unfortunately for the Astros last night, the Tigers made the perfect play. Um, it, it is what it is. It's also baseball. And it's one of the things that just wears me out about fandom. Uh, and I don't know if it's Houston specific. I'm sure that other groups of fans, maybe even in the minor leagues, certainly in the major leagues have the same experience, but it's, uh, Baseball is becoming a lot like church where many attend, but very few understand. Um, It's just, it's, it's a rough, rough time when you're playing 162 games, you are uh, only have 34 games left in the season. So you can do the math, 158 games or 138 games that we've played 128 games. Excuse me. Um, The guys are tired. They're in the middle of a 10-game uh, stretch with no days off. Um, they don't have another day off until um, next Monday, um, I believe. And that's it, it's rough. You have injuries, and I think you compound that fatigue that you would just have normally from the long, grinding, six-month-long baseball season with the fact that one of your leaders um, is out for an indefinite period again um, who plays a key role as your starting shortstop. Uh, so it's it, – and I think we as fans, and I'll lump myself into this because I certainly get frustrated as well, tend to forget that these are human beings playing a game um, and there are a million different variables in every game that determine the outcome. Baseball more than any other sports – any day, any, either team can win. And it doesn't really matter from a standpoint of how good this team is, how bad this team is, who you have starting, who you have on your bench, who's pitching, who's not pitching. It's a kind of a crapshoot. The way that the Astros work and probably the Oakland A's before them um, and a lot of the move towards um, a more analytical approach is because it is the long game. You are a marathon of a season, and if you do the right things, 95% of the time, you're going to win when you're supposed to, 95% of the time. But as one of the oldest tropes in baseball is still true, no matter what you do, your team is going to lose 50 games. And no matter what you do, your team is going to win 50 games. It's the other 100, or excuse me, 62 games in that mix that kind of determines your season. And the Astros have, have plenty of black on their ledger. Um, 
so far this year and are still sitting in a, a great spot uh, for, for the playoffs, for the division, and for making a run. Yeah, I want to talk about that great spot that they're in because I've kind of been trying to fly this flag, and I think people really came out of um, Oakland despondent with ignoring the fact that they've played 15 times and the Astros have won 10, to your point. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about the injuries because we are um, we're faced with right now. It looks like there are three injuries worth discussing, and I want to start with what seems to be the most obviously concerning, and that is the Carlos Correa. Uh, you know, I don't know if I like the term injury prone. I think that what you can say though is this back thing is probably something that's chronic. Um, I, I mean, in most people's experiences, once you develop back issues, and it, his back issue is still pretty nebulous. I don't think we've ever been told that he has a disc problem or he has an alignment problem or he has muscular problems. It's discomfort, which is what the Astros go to, um, seems to be. The um, the issue is that he hasn't played a full season's worth of games since 2016. So we're now 2017, he spent time on the injured list. Um, 2018, he spent time on the injured list. This year, he's going to play probably fewer than 90 games. Um, and it, it, it affects the Astros and their ability to be flexible, keep people rested, uh, develop some chemistry with, amongst their lineup, and have a very solid defensive piece in the middle of the field. But it affects um, the long-term view of the, for the Astros as well is because – at some point, you've got to make a decision on this guy about whether or not he's part of your long-term plans. The Astros don't have to do anything this year, next year, or the year after that. But at some point, a legitimate conversation is going to have to be had about, is this guy somebody that we can rely on to be a cornerstone of the franchise? Certainly the cornerstone of the franchise that we envisioned when uh, the Astros drafted him 1-1 several years ago. Um, and to this point, um, like I said, 109 games in 17, 110 games in 18, and so far this year only 72. And if Jeff Lunell is correct, he'll be back um, probably around September 9th for home series against the A's, which would give him three weeks left in the season before the playoffs, which is kind of what Lunell is still going with, even with the roster moves today. Um it, you have to see, A, if he's healthy, and B, if he can put it together and get his rhythm down in that limited amount of time because there won't be a minor league um, – likely there won't be a minor league situation where he goes to to, to rehab. Um, he'll go to Florida probably for a small amount of time, and then he's going to have to uh, get up to speed really quickly at the major league level. Imagine him dropping down to Round Rock and winning a AAA championship with them as, as his rehab start. That would be pretty sweet. Yeah, I mean, the stars could certainly align that way, and that would be pretty funny, actually. Um, he certainly could show them how to win. He certainly can. Um, you know, and I think next in our – or maybe first in your – like, so with the loss of, of Presley, which is like just happened about an hour and a half ago, how do you think that that, fit, th- that affects the Astros? Or do you feel like that was – that in many ways like Crea, a, a look toward October sort of move to give him the surgery now? Um, it's according to what Jeff Lunau said, um, probably about an hour ago, they, he experienced some knee soreness again. They looked at it again. They saw an irregularity that they didn't see three weeks ago when they had him on the DL with the same knee issue. 
Um, so they decided to proceed with surgery. And I guess uh, the intent is that he's going to be back maybe the last week of the season, maybe the first week of the um, playoffs if everything goes well. If it goes poorly and he doesn't heal expectedly, he's done. I mean, there's not just a lot of time for him to appear magically. And if um, you know he doesn't make it back by the ALDS and we don't advance, he doesn't pitch again. Uh, and there's no opportunity for him to. So for me, um, we have bats and we have guys that can play shortstop. We don't have room to lose our best reliever. And I do understand the reasons why Major League Baseball has changed some of their rules. And like next year, we'll be going to a 28-man roster um, for call-ups versus a 40-man. Um, and the 40-man is basically going away next year. But they're... The, the trade deadline piece was the biggest change that um, that's really affecting the Astros this year because right now, if your best reliever goes out, um, Jeff and most of the players would have cleared waivers. Jeff Lunau could be dealing for a, another reliever. Might have been a painful deal, but he had that option. That's not an option this year. Uh, and it won't be an option going forward, and I don't know if that's one of the intended consequences or an unintended consequence of the rule change, but the team that we had on the 40 man roster basically that we had on July 31st, um, you know, give or take a few players is the team that we've got to put together for the playoffs. And so certainly some of the flexibility and some of Luna's skills of scouring the waiver wire and finding a guy who can help us um, have been handcuffed or limited. And then that brings us to the Aaron Sanchez move um, going on the IL for a, what they're calling a sore pectoral muscle. In grand scheme of things, how do you think that affects the team, and and do you see him as being a possible reliever in the in October when it comes time to get to the playoffs? If he's healthy, sure, because in short spurts he's um, got electric stuff. Um, it's just a matter of can he be healthy and can he not walk a bunch of pitchers. Um, I think all of us that were watching the game on Monday night thought it was really curious that he got lifted um, after uh, two and a third innings. Um, I believe that was it. Um, but he just lost all command of the plate. Uh, no idea where the ball was going. And I think he walked the bases loaded or gave up two singles and then walked in a run or it was just, it was ugly. It got ugly pretty quickly. Um, I don't think he's a starter in the playoffs under any scenario. Um, maybe if everybody else is injured kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I think he could be a valuable piece and, you know, pectoral soreness is not a pectoral tear. So if the Astros are being upfront and honest about what the injury actually is, I expect to see him back kind of a similar time frame to Correa somewhere around that week of the ninth, maybe even stretching into that, uh, with a little bit of time to get, um, acclimated to coming out of the bullpen because we've got a number of days off coming up in September, I think four in the, in the calendar and the competition outside of those that four-game series against the A's beginning on the ninth is lighter than we've seen in any month. So it'd be a good time for him to you know work on some things. Um, but it, it, we're going to need kind of all hands on deck, especially if Presley continues to be uh, iffy through all of September, and it's kind of a question mark of whether he's going to be good to go in October. Yeah, it's going to make the Biagini edition a lot more important, so he'll need to definitely get it together. Um, although I don't think he was necessarily demoted to Round Rock for performance so much as he had, he threw three innings in that one extra inning game, and they, they weren't going to use him again. They needed the arm. But it does mean yeah, – you know, Sorry, go ahead. 
No, and I think that was communicated to him. I don't think it was a situation where he did he did poorly or they um, wasn't doing something they asked him to do. I think it was purely a situation where you're kind of burnt for the next three days and we need arms, so you're going to go visit uh, Austin, Texas, uh, which isn't a bad consolation prize, honestly. It's a pretty good town. <laughs> it's not. But, you know, and, 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 I'll, and I'll say this. Like, obviously, Correa, I think, is the bigger loss of the three in, in part because – you know, when you get into the playoffs, if you look at the starting rotation, if the starting rotation is what it's supposed to be and we can count on to get you six or seven, I'm OK with the Will Harris in the eighth and uh, Roberto Asuna in the ninth. Yep. Uh, um, Presley gives you a better option, I think, than Harris. But Harris is certainly worthy. And Harris has pitched really, really well this year with more consistency, honestly, than Presley or Osuna have had. Uh, Presley's been a little bit up and down, and part of that's due to the knee injury. Um, and Osuna's, um, well, you know, knock on wood, he's had two good um, outings in a row, including a clean one against the Tigers this week. Um, he's had a rough middle of the season. Um, so, you know, you, you feel pretty good about that. You'd like another arm, and that well, Presley really gave us a three-inning bridge rather than a two-inning bridge. Um, but somebody like Rondon, Davinsky, um, Peacock, they're going to have to step up and solidify it if we're to uh, make a run. Well, and uh, it's funny, we just got some more breaking news as we're sitting here. And as, you know, doors and windows being what they are, one door closes, one opens. We're going to get to see Abraham Toro, who um, I've seen a bunch of times, both at the Hooks this year and at the Express. Uh, dude can hit. Um, and just, you know, he only played 16 games at the PCL level, but was hitting 424. Um, but. It means that the Astros have just DFA'd Brady Rogers, and I think it's it's a big disappointment. I you know I feel bad for the kid, Tommy John surgery, all that stuff, and then you kind of really hoped he'd have a chance to make the club, and now it doesn't look like it's the case. Well, and you know what really drives the main question for me is what pictures does Dean Dietz have that he is holding <laughs> against the Astros front office? Because if you look at our forty man, I can't imagine how he stays there. Um, I mean, he doesn't even get considered for call-ups. So I, that that's a mind-boggler to me. But um, at least Rogers got a cup of coffee this year. And, you know, like anybody else, I wish him well. I think he's a good guy. I think he pitched okay. Um, certainly not enough to disrupt the roster in Houston any. Um, so hopefully Toro, um, in better news, takes uh, maximizes uh, his opportunity. And I think also um, for your friend Mike Donis, uh, Pete winning. It's we're calling up a guy from Canada. Yeah, I mean, anytime you add a Canadian to your roster, who, who doesn't love that? Um, but yeah, Toro is going to be able to play um, really all four of the infield spots in a pinch, primarily third base, first base. Um, but he allows you to play Guriel in his natural first base spot. Some days he allows you to slide over Bregman into the short top, short top spot um, and, and keep the defense, you know, with Bregman and Guriel and Altuve pretty much intact. Um, I don't know much about him defensively, and since defensive metrics are kind of horrible, um, we're going to rely on looking at his bat like all other baseball prognosticators do. Uh, he's an impressive hitter, um, and he's somebody who, in Corpus, who does not have the juiced ball, um, had a 906 EPS, uh, OPS this year, uh, getting on base, slugging over 500. Um, and then Round Rock, he's actually done better, albeit only in 16 games. 
Um, but I think he's always been thought of a really, as a really solid bat in the organization. Um, it was more of a question of where is his spot going to be on the major league roster because he is effectively blocked by uh, Alex Bregman and um, Carlos Correa. Now, if he does well, I think the big question is, does that make Carlos Correa more expendable sooner? I mean, I, look, I, I don't want to get into the whole like we, you know, we should trade Carlos Correa thing. Um, but I, I have wondered if Luno isn't the kind of guy that like we've all we've acknowledged plays chess while everybody else is playing checkers. Get close to his time for him to resign. I could see him. I could see I don't think he would let that asset walk out without getting anything if he didn't think we could resign. Him. I'll, I'll, I'll say Correct. that. I'll leave it there. And like I think I said earlier, um, certainly I've said it before, but I think earlier in this actual conversation, I, I we don't have to make any decision on Correa. The organization doesn't have to make any decision on Correa for almost three years. Um, but having roster flexibility, having valuable pieces, whether Toro is a ready replacement for somebody on our current roster or a ready player at some point down the line for somebody else's roster – um, having a piece that can hit in the majors and play an infield position isn't a bad bad piece to have. Um, one thing just goes to goes to say how much the Astros have invested in their farm system and their developmental team. Um, I'm not telling you anything uh, that your listeners don't know, but um, this is somebody who is probably considered organizational depth at some point that is going to be a major league player because he's earned it, not because we just have an opening. Yeah, and, and he is a guy that in at least the last two trade deadlines were mentioned. We talk about how, like, they won't trade Whitley or Tucker, but they had, people had asked for Toro, too, and wasn't moved for a reason. So I guess we're seeing that reason. So, you know, as we kind of wrap up, um, I've been trying to do – I've been trying to track, you know, what I think the Astros need to clinch home field. And I'm I'm less concerned about home field throughout the playoffs as I am making sure we get it for the ALCS. And right now we have a magic number of 29 to clinch the division. And it looks like the Astros have the 29th toughest schedule remaining, whereas the Yankees have the 21st. I'm sorry, the Dodgers have the 21st, Yankees have the 23rd. And we have 20 home games left, the Dodgers only 15, and the Yankees only 12. So over, like, what do you think the odds are that we are going to have home field advantage through both the ALCS and the World Series? Um, I, 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 it's tough and for me I don't know that it matters I want to be in the second spot um, and I'll I'd, I'd love to be let's put it back up I would love to have home field advantage throughout the playoffs I would love for that to happen and for us to start playing um, more consistent baseball and start taking advantage of some of the scheduling quirks that are going to benefit us the rest of the season these last 34 games now having said that bold p- prediction time I don't think the Yankees make it out of um the, their, their ALDS, whoever they're playing. I don't want to play them in the first round, but I don't think they have enough pitching to advance to the World Series, and I think they're primed to be upset by a team like the Twins or the Indians should they end up playing them in the, in the first round. Uh, that, to me, and even Oakland, if they were to um, stretch it out a little bit and make the playoffs, I think there are a number of teams that can knock out the Yankees. Um, the Yankees are going to hit. They're going to hit for, hit a lot, but I think they're very susceptible to good pitching. Um, and you're looking at teams like Houston, Tampa Bay, um, Cleveland still has good pitching. Um, 
that had a real chance to upset the media darlings in uh, the Bronx. So to answer your question, I think there's a fair chance that the Yankees are going to give up some of their three or four get three game lead right now. I think they have. Um, and I think we'll eat into it, but it doesn't matter as much to me as the Astros start playing a little bit more consistent baseball. And I think you'll see, especially as the calendar starts winding away from August, um, the intensity pick up a little bit. It's a long season, and they're called the dog days of summer uh, during August for a reason. Um, it's it's a grind, and if your team's going to lose focus, you'd far rather them lose focus a little bit in August versus September and October. Well, and I think, you know, again, as we close out, I think you're right. And I think the other thing I would point out, too, is the Astros, which for the last two or three teams, two or three years, have been notoriously uh, not great in August, have actually played better this August than they have in previous years. Yeah, they're still on pace to have their best record ever, even with scuffling for the last couple of weeks. Um, and I'd say scuffling. We just won three games in a row. Um, you can win tonight, and you have a pretty favorable schedule for the rest of this homestand. There's no reason that you're not looking at winning seven of the next ten, um, eight of the next ten. Uh, it's just going to be a matter of them getting a little consistent with what they're doing and avoiding the mental lapses, you know, trying to take third on an infield hit when you're pretty much dead to rights. With Michael Brantley, uh, well, I was thinking of Chirinos, like you're the catcher, dude. Don't try to make – you don't need a triple. You got yeah, the, I mean, you, if there was anybody who's trying to – I get why he was doing it because – a, I'm on third, and I could score on a base hit. And B, I could hit for the cycle, and when's the next chance I'm going to get to do that? But he was so dead. I mean, he was dead about midway uh, between second and third. Well, well, uh, you know, hopefully we'll get uh, we'll get a good outing out of Colt tonight. But we will uh, talk to you next week, Andy. Sounds good. Have a good week. On deck, the Let's Get To Interview of the Week, brought to you by Fine Line Sportswear. So we're excited to welcome to Let's Get To the general manager of the Hartford Yard Goats, Mike Abramson. Uh, Hartford's been one of our favorite follows all year, and we're delighted to talk to one of the brains behind the Yard Goats. Mike, how you doing? Doing great. Thank you for having me today. Uh, yeah, no problem. It's really our 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 pleasure. Um, so before we get into sort of Hartford specific stuff, just tell me a little bit. How did you end up going from a civilian, I guess you'd say, to being the general manager of the Double A franchise for the Colorado Rockies? That's funny because that that's pretty much how I always label it too. They're, they're sort of inside our industry and outside of our industry, and you know I refer to everybody else as lay people, um, the ones living the good life. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I, I came in, um, I like to describe it as a back door. I came in a little bit of a different way than most people do. Um, this is uh, my 14th or 15th season in minor league baseball. I got into it a little bit later when I was about 30 years old, and I had been working for a sports radio station um, out of Boston at the time, and I got to know some folks who worked for the Pawtucket Red Sox, the Red Sox AAA affiliate in Rhode Island and um, I was fortunate enough that they had a job opening there and offered me a job and I went to work there and never looked back and you know that's different in that um, most of the people I work with and most of the people I have worked with in this industry went right into um, minor league baseball right out of college and just never left it you know there's a lot of turnover in our industry but 
there's also a lot of people who have made a lifelong career out of it. So I came in right around the middle, a little bit of a different path, but I definitely found, uh, you know, the industry and the career that was for me. And so let me ask you this then, how do you think your entry into it, like you said, a little bit later, coming from like the sports media side, prepared you for the job versus someone who was just 22 years old with a degree in sports management, for example? Well, I'll tell you what, I mean, I think it, I think it gave me some benefits that other people didn't have. And I think it made me a little bit naive in some areas, um, whereas some other people weren't, you know, there, there was a huge learning curve, you know, coming, I, I'd been worried. I'd worked in radio for a number of years prior to that. I had, um, worked in doing some reporting. I had been a journalism major. Um, and then I went to work in sales and the minor league baseball or the, the minor league sports and maybe major league sports industry is just so different in that it's so, it's so varied. You do so many very different things every single day. There's so many balls in the air at all times. You never leave at the end of the day and everything's just in its perfect little place and tomorrow's its own day. Um, so there was a very big learning curve, the biggest I'd ever had going into a job, um, in the hours, just getting used to, you know, essentially working about a 50 hour work week most of the year. And then during the summer, you know, every other week working roughly a hundred hours a week, it was just a lot to get used to. But on the other side of the coin, I felt like my sales experience out in the real sales world definitely put me in a great position um, heading into an industry that maybe, you know, at that time was, wasn't quite as sophisticated in that regard. Um, and then also, you know, my journalism background has really aided me tremendously um, as a manager because, you know, when you're a reporter, you take a whole bunch of information, you filter it down into four to five, six sentences, and you have to be able to convey the entire thing. You know, management is just like that. You have all this stuff flying at you. You have to be able to cut through all of the minutia, find the four or five important pieces, be able to relay that to somebody else and have an action moving forward. So it was good on one side and, you know, a little bit tougher on the other. You know, and I'm sure like, in, in the thing that, you know, this is our first year doing the show and we're, we're going to finish up with about 35 episodes. We've been all over the country. And one of the things that when we talk to GMs, we always get the same kind of answer is that lots of people in town come up to me and want to know why don't, why can't we approve our play at shortstop? And obviously it's not your job. So how is it working with the Rockies as far as just your relationship with Hartford, especially geographically, culturally, you're in different spots in the country. How does that all play interplay together? Well, I'll tell you what, for our purposes and our yard goats front office, our sole responsibility for the Rockies is to give them a place to play um, and ideally a comfortable place to play, um, a place where they're treated well um, and ideally put them in front of a lot of people. So if they are fortunate enough to move up to um, the show and play in front of 30,000 people a night, they're a little more comfortable doing that. So that's really the extent of it. You know, we, we don't have any conversations and I don't have any conversations with them about players, about needs on the field or anything like that. You know, the coaching staff is here um, and they take care of those pieces of the puzzle. We merely have to put the players in a good position to be able to go out and play the game and give them a nice field. And I think in that regard, we do really well by them. You know, we philosophically here, 
we treat every player like they are a big leaguer, you know, and, and then if, if they go on to become one, then hopefully they think fondly of us and they speak well of the time that they were here. Um, and if they don't, they got to enjoy that feeling of being like a big leaguer in the time that they were here playing in front of a sold out crowd every night. Well, one of the things too, just even from Austin, Texas, that you can, that I can tell your social media game is on point. You definitely are selling the brand of the yard goats and it's been sort of a year of transition. You're relatively new in your stadium, a new park. Um, but how has been, how has it been ingratiating the team with the community and, and continuing to build a fan base? Well, it's been great. You know, I mean, the, we had um, a very unique ability in moving to um, a different ballpark, rebranding, even though we were just going 13 miles up the road. It gave several of us who had been in the industry for a long time the opportunity to say, this is our chance to build something brand new and build it exactly the way we want to. You know, sometimes when you're on a ride and it's been the same ride for a long time, it's really difficult to make big sweeping changes. But when you're building something brand new, you can start with your best practices in all areas and go from there. Um, so that was helpful because, uh, for our executive staff, we have a lot of combined, uh, years of knowledge. Um, but on the marketing side, it was a little bit more of kind of finding our way. You know, when we first launched our yard goats brand and it was, so aggressive and it was made such a splash. Um, and I'd even say in the past couple of years, the, the crazier names have become so commonplace. It's not even making the splash. It did, you know, just three, four years ago, five years ago. Um, but we had to kind of rise to the occasion and find a way to give that brand a voice. Um, that was fitting of that energy and that, um, just the uniqueness of it, you know, and, and it all started with social media, you know, our, our entire brand, our entire marketing plan is entirely built off of the way our social media was and is. Um, and all of that was really just pretty good fortune. I mean, I, I, I'll openly admit, I kind of tripped my way through that and I just sort of learned on the job and, um, everything kind of fell into place. Uh, so like any, any time you're successful, it's a little bit of planning. It's a little bit of lock in. In our case, I always say there's a little bit of magic thrown in there. Well, I do love the hashtag, the no goats, no glory. That's you've, you, that's gotta be one of the best hashtags we've come across doing the show. Oh, great. And, you know, there was a little controversy this year and with the and it was actually something that I remember talking with several people in the minor league baseball about. And I was I thought it was a really bold and great choice for you guys to not do the peanut thing at the park. And those of you that are listening, it's a peanut free park and mostly because kids are susceptible to peanut allergies. And it just seems like a very common sense decision to make. How did the decision go over and how and did people adapt to it pretty quickly? Okay. Um, yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, it, it's good timing because we're all the way at the um, pretty much at the end of this first season where we've been peanut free. Um, the way it came about was about a year and a half ago, I met with a couple of women um, who are moms of children who have food allergies. All of the kids in, in their family all have food allergies. And they just wrote in and said they'd like to have a conversation about what more maybe they could do to help, what more maybe we could do. And I ended up meeting with them several times. I talked with our food service company. I talked with our president, Tim Restall, and 
at some point, Tim just kind of came in. He was like, you know, what if we just went completely peanut free? Um, because the thing that most people don't know is that it's not about ingesting a peanut. It's about the very fibers or essence of the peanut shell and fibers in the air that can set off an allergic reaction. Um, long story short, we decided that was something we wanted to do um, because we realized that there were all of these people out there who couldn't actually come to a game. You know, there were people who were going to be disappointed that they couldn't eat peanuts at a game. And then there were people who actually couldn't come to a game at all. Um, and once you sort of stare that decision in the face, you really, there's only one direction to go. Um, obviously when that story came out, it blew up. I mean, way beyond what we expected. Um, and it was interesting because it became a, a full on national debate and it was really about more than whether or not people can eat peanuts. It was about the rights of people, the rights of Americans being taken away and, coddling children and so much of it was mired in, in just a lack of education on the peanut allergy itself. Um, but a lot of it was just sort of, you know, quippy back and forth stuff that really had nothing to do with us. The end result though, is that, you know, that story and, and that act was covered on every single TV station in the United States of America to date, the, the marketing or, or the, you know, the impressions of the mentions of that are over 1 billion worldwide. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, everybody went one way or the other about it. They had an opinion on it. We opened the ballpark. We've, we're on our way to selling out 51 games this season. I've never had a conversation with a single individual who was upset that they could not buy peanuts. And I have met over 100 families who came to their first game ever and wanted me to meet their children who were coming to their first baseball game ever. Um, so, I didn't need to feel any better about the decision, but had I, that certainly would have done it. Uh, that's and I've, I love that that y'all made the decision for that very reason. You know, baseball's supposed to be something that's inclusive that everybody can enjoy, and I do think that people mistakenly confuse a peanut allergy or other food allergies with preferring to be vegan or oh, I can't eat eat you know flour or whatever it is. No, like it's a real thing in the air that that kids can die, and so. It's a no-brainer to include more people at your ball game by making one simple decision. Yeah, well, it's really funny you say that too because I am actually vegan, and I there were so many times I would talk to people, and you know they're they're like, why why aren't you you know vegetarianism veganism was something that came up. A ton of people were like, why don't you stop selling beer? And I was like, all of these things are things you can choose not to do, like. I go to a ton of venues where there is nothing I can eat at all, but I understand that's a result of a choice that I have personally made. The children who aren't coming to our games are coming because they, they, they run the risk of having an allergic reaction. And it's just too anxiety ridden for the parents to bring them to the games. You know, like I have young kids. It's I'm full of anxiety anywhere we go. And my kids don't have allergies. You add that extra layer of pressure on it. You just end up in a fight, you know? Um, so, you know, uh, our MO has always been to make it as easy as possible for people to come to our games and enjoy themselves while they're here. And there's nothing I love more than when a family tells me they came out and it was easy because when you have kids, nothing is easy. 
Well, no, and I, again, we applaud you for doing that. So like you said, you're at the end of the season. How has the season been as far as attendance and, and promos? Well, it's been really fantastic. I mean, we, um, we, assuming we don't rain out a game next week during our final eight home games, we're going to finish with 51 sellouts this year. Um, that is four more than last year and 10 more than in our first year. Um, our overall attendance is going to have gone up for the third straight year. We've sold more concessions this year. Um, and I feel like as the person who is the complaint department, I feel like I have feel, fielded fewer complaints this year than any of the past um, two seasons. So everything is really headed in the right direction. I just, you know, the thing for us is that we we are so we're in, we never just sit still and rest on our laurels. So we're like chomping at the bit trying to figure out what big bold thing we can do for next year because you know it's it's like anything else that you know when you're sort of forging new ground for yourself, you can only get excited by the thing that brings you ten feet further than the last thing did. You know, so that's kind of how we spend our time. I mean, I feel like operationally, from a marketing perspective, a sales perspective we're really shored up. I want to spend a lot of time this off season on our promotions because I think we can get a lot better there. Um, and I really just want to find a way to delight people in the unexpected, you know, because that's the end of the day, that's really my favorite thing is when people are like, you know, wow, I did not see that coming. You know, that that's what excites me. Well, and now that you've got what about 10 days left or so, what do we have? What can we look forward to at the yard goats? Well, we've got, um, you know, eight straight to finish it out. And we're going to, we've got um, sold out crowds for all of those eight games. Um, we've got some kind of promotion going on every night. We've got the Superstars here one of the nights. Um, that's the big inflatable uh, national traveling act. We've got a Harry Potter day uh, with a bunch of activities for the kids. We've got our annual Roberto Clemente celebration on August 23rd, on the 24th, we're also going to be doing a um, celebration of uh, Negro League Baseball in Connecticut. Uh, and then on the last night of the season, um, we are going to finish out the game, and then we have a post-game concert with 80s hip-hop legend Curtis Blow here at the ballpark. Um, and while I tell you that that is for the fans, in reality, it is for us, because we had him here two years ago, and we had so much fun. We just wanted to uh, get to watch him perform again. Well, that sounds incredible, and I'm hoping that everybody gets out to the field to see the Hartford Guard Ghost this year. Mike, thanks so much for being on Let's Get To. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. And now, on to close it out, the right-hander from Houston, Texas, James Christopher. So I want to start off as we wrap it up, as we close it out, with apologizing. I did something that was offensive. I did something that was rude. And I did something that I should have known better and I should have thought through. And, and sometimes my mouth overrides my brain. And, you know, if I'm going to sit here and talk about the fact that so many people, you know, in our country tweet or talk without thinking and don't own up to their mistakes. Well, I have to be the one to own up to my mistake and I have to be the one to do it first and I have to be bigger and better uh, than everybody else. And so I want to apologize for singing. You didn't sign on for this. 
You signed on to hear a baseball podcast. You did not sign on to listen to me attempt to carry a tune. And, uh, you know, singing's always been a thing for me. It has always been something that has been, um, how do I put this? A cross I've had to bear. When I was in high school, a member of the administration at my high school, uh, it was around Christmas time and I went to a Catholic high school and I was singing the Ave Maria and my voice cracked as a sophomore's voices want to do. And I was told or recommended by one of the, uh, one of the administrators there that not everyone had to lift their voices to God. And I should have listened and I didn't. And I did that to you. And 23 years later, I made that same mistake. So I apologize. Uh, you will not hear me sing. I don't think ever again. So, uh, but thanks again for listening. I do want to say, you know, we're getting to the point where a lot of the, you know, the, the baseball races are starting to come down. Things are getting hot and heavy. Uh, the magic numbers are starting to get thrown around. And just remember that, you know, as teams come close, as your team comes up short, they're going to, no team is going to meet a hundred percent of people's ex- expectations being the guy that or, or the gal that whines on Twitter about it and just looks like a petulant child, it's not a good look and it's not a look you're going to want to have later on. And I think we should we should kind of do away with the takes that these guys aren't trying very hard. 162 games is a gauntlet no other sport goes through. And those guys are leaving their guts out on the field. And so acting like a child and, and acting like you don't really understand the sport of baseball when you get on there and tweet that the season's over with 33 games to play and you're in first base, first place, it's just not a good look. And so let's think before we tweet everybody and uh, let's enjoy some baseball, enjoy what's left. Even if you're a Baltimore Orioles fan or Detroit Tigers fan and you're just playing out the playing out the schedule and, and trying to get to the trying to get to the winter you got some good young players Texas Rangers fans got some good young players get out there and enjoy them and, and some of them are going to be your all-stars later on and you're going to be able to say I remember going out and watching them when this guy hustled and they they were losing 100 games and he was still working working his tail off so definitely get out there and do it uh, to all of our fans uh, to all the people that listen talking to you Matt I hope you guys are enjoying your transition back to school and uh There's a couple more days of minor league baseball left, so let's get out there and do it. Let's get out there and let's get to you.